Welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Bargav Brambat, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Harness. Bargav has held a number of product-oriented roles, starting out first in software development, then getting into product management after pursuing an MBA, before finally landing in product marketing. Today, Bargav and the team at Harness are building an intelligent software delivery platform that enables engineers to deliver software faster, with higher quality, and with less effort. During our chat, Bargav and I explore what it's like to be a product marketer at a fast-moving startup and how to go about building out a product marketing team in a startup environment. For anyone looking to gain traction as a product marketer at a startup, this episode is a great listen. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Bargav, how's it going? Uh, it's going real well, Mark. Really appreciate you having me on Product Marketing Life. I've been I've been listening for a little while, and there's some great stuff. And I'm glad that seems like I have something to offer today. Awesome, absolutely uh, feel like you do. I appreciate you saying that. Glad to chat with uh, with a listener of the show, and super excited to have you on today as well. And, and ask you the questions we've got planned for today. So let's dive right into it then. Uh, it'd be great if you could walk me through your career up to this point and what you do at Harness. Absolutely. I actually started, I want to say it's an uncommon path, but looking at most product marketers coming from completely different walks of life, maybe not so uncommon. She started my career as a software engineer. I went to school, got a bachelor's in computer science. And then after a few years working at this company called Yardi, which leads the market in real estate management software, I realized I started asking way too many questions. You know, I didn't want to just stare down the endless barrel of a ticketing system and fix bugs and do all of that. I really wanted to know why. Why are we building this? How can I give the best experience for my customer? And after talking to a few people who'd been around the block for a little while longer, turned out that what I was interested in sounded a lot like product management. I realized engineering's not for me. It was a lot cooler in school than it is in the real world. And so I left that company to go and pursue my MBA to get into product management. Fast forward a couple of years, I've interned at this startup for six months, didn't like being a product manager there at all. Uh, there was also this class called New Product Innovations. Uh, shout out to Professor Kumar, man changed my life. He the, the point of the course was, how do you take a product that's in market, how do you come up with the next iteration of it and innovate on the product? What's the product management process? And then at the end of that, it was a three-part course, is how do you take this thing to market? And that's what was really interesting to me. How do I launch this product? He introduced me to the chief product officer of this Series A startup, and that ended up being my first marketing job. And that's where I really drank from the fire hose and realized this product marketing thing is really cool. It's really versatile. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, but it's really fun. And fast forward six years from then, and I really like what I do. And, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm I'm pretty decent at it. Yeah, and I would think your career trajectory so far would, would affirm that belief. So I think you can be rest assured in that regard. Uh, a couple of things that you said that I want to pick up on, and I got a follow-up question as well. But the first thing that you mentioned that, you know, as a software developer, you asked too many questions. And I find that that's a trait of product marketers that doesn't get talked about enough. 
I think so often when we are in conversations internally or with customers, I think what separates a good product marketer from a great product marketer is the ability to ask good questions, right? Anybody can ask questions, but I think you need to be able to ask good questions that probe deeper and get to actual actionable insights. So on that note, I want to ask you, do you feel like that's just something that's inherent about, you know, how you've grown up, you know, through your education, through your experiences, what is it that you think drives you to be so inquisitive? For me, it comes from a place of genuine curiosity. I'm the kind of person where when I die, the only regret I will have is that I didn't get to see and experience and learn it all. You know, I would love to live a million years in the future when we are intermingling with aliens regularly. And so that that inquisitive nature, that that drive to learn is really what pushes me there. But I think the, the difference is when you put that in a business context, like when you're doing that for product marketing, you're asking questions in a line of thinking or in a direction, which is really hey, this feature or this product or this use case or whatever is really cool, but let's really dig into what is it that the customer is looking for? What are their problems? How do they think about solving them? And how do we take them uniquely from a place of here's what your current world looks like and it works up until this point. Here are the problems you face, the negative consequences that come from that. And then our job as a PMM is not just understanding that journey of the customer, but understanding how do you take them from the land of negative consequences to the land of ideal outcomes, which is really what they're looking for. And that level of curiosity, I think, is is different. And if, if I'm being completely honest, you know, sometimes it's a little more boring than just being curious, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to deliver business value from, from what you're trying to get. Like you said, you have to be able to dive into insights. And you have to be able to translate that into a go-to-market motion now, whether that is, you know, marketing copy, web copy, content, sales enablement, talking to analysts, you know, the, the whole nine yards. You have to be able to take good questioning to get the insights that you want to create the go-to-market vision that you have planned for whatever it is that you're trying to do. Yeah, thanks for that. I think that's a real thorough answer. And I think you're right. It's that inherent curiosity that I think has to be part of every product marketer skill set. Uh, if you're generally a, a, not a curious person and you're you're comfortable with just taking things at face value, then your you know your career trajectory as a product marketer is likely going to be a little bit limited. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's funny when I started in this career, that is exactly the kind of product marketer I was. I'm just like, oh, product and engineering are throwing something over the fence to me. Let me just take that at face value and put that out into the market. And it wasn't until, you know, I really started getting more experience, right? Remember, I started my product career, product marketing career, reporting to a chief product officer who had no idea really what I should be doing. And so I learned to just take what they gave me and translate that into something we could sell. Right now, I take much more of the approach of you can't be afraid to question your product and engineering team, right? Just because they want to do a launch doesn't mean you have to do it. You can always say like, hey, I know you have these one, two, three other things coming. What if we were to bundle this up and tell this story instead? I know you're really excited about this feature, but I think it'll be way more valuable to the customer and ultimately to you know pipeline and revenue if we do it this way. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think oftentimes in the product marketing world, we we focus on this relationship between product and product marketing as being this one that needs to be 100% aligned at all times. You need to have really strong relationships with your product manager. And I think based on what you're saying, and if I can posit kind of a, a differing opinion on what I just said, I feel like I almost kind of need to have a love-hate relationship with your product team. Like <laughs> they should love to work with you, but they should hate seeing you because they know you're going to ask some questions. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, it maybe hate the strong word in this context, but I think it's perfectly okay to, to not necessarily cause more work for your product partners, but to make sure that you're holding them accountable so that they can, you know, have legitimate answers to the questions you're asking them. And then if they can't answer them, you need to be comfortable asking those questions to customers to validate products thinking on their behalf. So yeah, I think that's an interesting way to frame it. And we'll get a little bit more into, you know, your experiences, uh, specifically working at startups, because um, that's going to be the main focus of our conversation today. But I did want to just quickly touch back on one thing about your specific career journey. And you mentioned this experience of being an intern as a product manager. You said it wasn't the best experience and something that actively pushed you away from the role. Would you say that was specific to your experience within that organization? And not to put anybody on blast in any regard, but is it more about where you worked or was it the work that you were doing? And what was it that pushed you towards product marketing over product management? Yeah, I think there's there's two parts to that. One, you know, just to answer your question straight up, I think it was the place I was working. Uh, it, you know, it was a pre it was a bootstrap company. And so we had no clue what we were doing or what direction we wanted to go. But I think the the locus of control or that sphere of of influence that you have really needs to be tight and defined. Right. I think one of the, the biggest things about being a product manager and being a good product manager is really being able to one, be able to is being able to connect the customer and the engineering and then coming up with and then driving that engineering execution in a lot of ways. I think early on, a lot of times product managers in some ways act as engineering managers. And what the, the other part of that is as I was taking this class, this new product innovation class. The product iteration and creation process was interesting, but it wasn't as sexy as I thought it would be, right? I thought, you know, I get to come up with these ideas, I get to flesh out what they look like, but it's actually very process-oriented. And not to say that, you know, product marketing can't be process-oriented, but it it tickles that creative itch in a different way for me. You know, I, I like to think about how do I communicate to a customer, not as much as what is a customer telling me and what can I build for them? I, I realized that those were two very different things for me. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and based on what you're saying, and I've observed this in my career as well, I think oftentimes not just product managers, but product marketing managers can be perceived to be within an organization to be more of a project manager than yes. what they're actually meant to be doing. And yes. I think that's where that kind of focus on process comes in is, you know, hey, you're going to manage this development project from start to finish. This is the process we follow, whether it's agile, whether it's something else. And there's not a lot of flexibility and creativity that can, you know, allow you to break out of that process. Unfortunately, I think to your point, like that's more of a company to company based thing and not necessarily true of all product uh, management and product marketing roles. Because otherwise, if totally that was the case, why, why would we be here, right? Um, so I think that's an element of it. And I'm sure that's a, a position that unfortunately a lot of product managers and product marketing managers find themselves in. And, you know, asking questions is a great way to get out of that 
to, to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier and kind of push back on that, uh, that perception. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you kind of framing your experience um, and, and sharing that with me. Awesome. And at the end of the day, it, it really comes down to, can you build that strong relationship with your product manager? So it's not, you have this job, I have this job. What I've learned over my career and what's what's helped me get to what I'm doing today is being able to build really a symbiotic relationship there, right? Where they sometimes they are just tossing stuff over to me and, you know, you have to balance what am I going to put out there to make my product team happy versus constantly pushing back and saying, I don't want to do this or I don't think this is the right way. Um, and, you know, when, once you start building that relationship, maybe we'll dive into it later, is you start to get your PM really valuing your input. And early on in their iteration process, they bring you in and say, hey, does this kind of make sense? And sometimes, you know, you might even get to the point where you're saying, hey, this is what I think you should be building next because it aligns with what the customer is saying, where the revenue is coming from, all of that sort of thing, right? You get to get to that holy grail of, as a PMM, I get to influence the product roadmap, which I think we hear a lot of, uh, especially, you know, even in places like Product Marketing Alliance, there's a lot of, we should be influencing the roadmap, we should be driving enablement, we should be doing all of these things, but those don't come from day one. You have to do a lot of work to to earn the trust and earn the respect to have those conversations. Yeah, you're spot on. And I'm sure the questions I'm going to ask you in a little bit here, we'll dive in on how you went about that process of earning that respect and, and kind of getting that uh, not buy-in per se, but, you know, having people trust that when you are coming to them with recommendations, they can trust that those inputs and those insights because you've asked those questions and had those conversations with customers. Yeah. So, and sometimes my ideas suck. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush there. Yeah. Nobody's perfect in that regard for sure. So you mentioned throughout your career, you've worked at a number of startups uh, and that's really going to be the focus of our conversation is kind of the life of a PMM at a startup. But before we get into that, I'm curious for your take on, you know, what it is about working in a startup environment and launching new products that you find so appealing. Versatility. You never really know what you're going to do. And for someone as curious and broad-minded as, as I am, not knowing what I'm going to be working on the next day was a big draw. I think the the danger you get into, though, is especially at a startup, there are a million things you can be working on. And sometimes the things that are the most interesting to you are not what is going to move the needle in the direction you need it to go. For example, at my, my first startup, the, the Series A, I really, I love brand. And I still love brand all, all these years later. I think it's the coolest part of marketing. But at a Series A startup, like, is working on your branding going to get you deals as opposed to getting your messaging tight and figuring out how do I package this thing up better to sell to a customer? No. And so you have to be really careful about where it is that you want to spend your time and, and hone some of the, the things that you really want to do. It, you know, it's still really cool uh, to be doing a ton of different things. Sometimes it's overwhelming, but that's where you have to learn to prioritize and, you know, have tough conversations too. For sure. And, and on that theme of prioritization, what would you say are some of the other unique requirements of being a product marketer at a startup, especially ones that are looking for their first sale? 
you have to be willing to be scrappy. And I know you hear this a lot, if, especially if you look at like a job posting for a series A, series B startup, you're going to see a lot of willing to roll their sleeves up, put on many different hats. And, you know, I think a lot of times that can be a red flag as like, you know, this means that they don't have anything figured out or you're going to be working a lot of late hours. What it what it comes down to is are you willing to try a bunch of different things? Are you willing to experiment? Are you willing to accept failure and probably more failure than success? And I think one of the, one of the biggest things, which you don't normally think about is, are you a good observer? It's, it's not just about are you able to come up with the best ideas and campaigns and content for me, at least, I found a lot of my success has come from saying, hey, I have this hypothesis. Let's put something out there and let's be willing to iterate on it. And, you know, really learning to be a good listener. I can give you an example from my current company. This this past year, we launched a new product. Somehow, within the last 12 months, we managed to go from $0 in revenue to $2.2 million in revenue or something like that. And a lot of where that came from is I had this hypothesis with my uh, with my sales manager. Uh, so, sorry, let me back up just for a sec. We have seven products at this company today. Each product has a product marketer, a product manager, and a dedicated sales specialist. And so my sales specialist and I, this was different from what product thought we needed to do. We realized that, hey, we're part of a platform full of a bunch of products where we're driving the most value, the most pipeline and revenue, which is what really value amounts to here, was actually not trying to say, hey, we have the best product, go buy our feature flags product. It was saying, hey, you're looking at our continuous delivery product. Well, you really need to be looking at feature flags at the same time. And so we had a hypothesis that we kind of put out into the market, did some enablement around it, and then it was really just about me watching, listening, asking questions and seeing, hey, I'm seeing a pattern here that, you know, it's not really just about combining these products. The pattern here is the three things that customers really care about when they look at these two together, which is how do I deliver software faster? How do I get control in production environments or reduce the amount of risk whenever I want to deploy new software? And how do I put good governance and guardrails around all of that? And how do I do all of these things automatically and at scale, right? I didn't come up with that. This is something that I heard customers saying after I just had this little light bulb with my sales specialist, hey, we think this is the direction we want to go towards. Do a shotgun spread, observe, pay attention, pull out the patterns, and then take those patterns to start niching down, to improve your positioning, to create better messaging. And now, you know, a year after having done that, you know, we really found that 83% of our pipeline last year came from sales generated pipeline, uh, selling to existing customers from our SDRs and from account executives doing their own outbounding. And so this year now we're taking that because we observed that this worked and we're saying, okay, how do we refine this? How do we get the proof points? What are the case studies we want to create? How do we create a better selling motion around this? And now, because we proved that out through the sales motion, which, by the way, all of our sales teams for this specific narrative, this specific positioning overperformed by about 150%. 
Now I can really look to take that into marketing and into the channel and say, how do I use these as scale factors or force multipliers? Yeah, so I think, that's... you know, that was, a, that was a long answer, but it comes down to you need to be able, you need to be willing to observe too, right? It's a delicate balance between doing a lot of things and sitting back and kind of seeing what's happening. You can't always make changes. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. And, you know, it's it's kind of like almost not the other side of the coin, you know, for lack of a better meta- metaphor, but, you know, you mentioned earlier, we started the conversation around this idea of being curious. It's almost like, you know, being observant is the evolution or the, the next logical step in being curious, right? Like you have to be able to ask the right questions, yeah. but you need to be able to, as you said, sit back and observe those answers or seek them out yourself by, you know, doing all the things that you just said. Um, so I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I appreciate you giving that tangible example of your current organization. Cause I think a lot of times I know when I've listened to podcasts about product marketing or I've read, you know, material, um, and thought leadership, uh, content, you get a lot of theory, but not a lot of actual, like, Oh, this is how I applied this theory in this specific role. Um, so I appreciate you providing that context and I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that as well. You know, I, I'd never thought about it as an evolution, like you thought, um, But, you know, at the end of the day, right, we're product marketers, like proof points are kind of built into our DNA. So why wouldn't I want to give proof points to to our listeners here about how that actually plays out? For sure. The the other thing that you mentioned that I want to just quickly highlight is you mentioned this idea of being comfortable with failure, especially at a startup. Again, I think a lot of times when we talk about product marketing, and I mean, really any any role, um, you know, you get in this LinkedIn echo chamber of, Look at how successful I've been in my role. Look at all these great things that I've accomplished. You know, but we launched this product and it's doing gangbusters. But you don't hear about the product marketer who says, oh, we launched this product and it flopped, right? For, for obvious reasons. I mean, there are some product marketers who are, are more um, forthcoming and, and candid about that. And I really appreciate and applaud those individuals for doing it. But, uh, you know, this, uh, this ability to say like, hey, we made a call here based on some information. Maybe it was good, maybe it was bad. But at the time we believed in it. And things didn't go as planned. And it's not about pointing fingers and saying, oh, you know, product developed the wrong features or, you know, sales didn't use the narrative that we developed for them or, you know, product marketing didn't talk to enough customers. It's more about, okay, what went wrong, right? And again, to that idea of being curious and, and observing, asking the questions to figure out how can we learn from that failure is something that I don't think gets talked about enough within product marketing. So I appreciate you highlighting that because I, I think it does deserve uh, a bit more conversation. Yeah. And just to add on to that, it's not just about recognizing that you might've messed up. It's you messed up in what context. And like you said, most importantly, at the end of the day, it's what did you learn and what are you going to do about it next? Absolutely. So actually, if I, if I can share a quick example, the at harness, when I started the product that I was brought in on did flop. And the reason it flopped wasn't, like you said, because of the product features or anything. It was because we were going after the wrong customer base. We were going after this DevOps persona, which there was a hypothesis that, hey, DevOps is going to care about cloud cost management. Turns out they didn't really care. And so for the first six months, the product really struggled. And then once we started talking to non-customers and really understanding hey, who cares about this problem? And and how do we shift to that? That's when it really started to take off. And it wasn't like it took off overnight. It took eight months before even our sales team internally was like, huh, 
yeah, this this thing makes sense. I'm going to go and sell this thing now. Yeah, again, thanks for providing that example. Uh, so I want to go to my next question here. You know, we talked about the experience of being a product marketer at, you know, a startup, maybe even a series A, or you've got some funding, maybe, you know, bootstrapped, you've got nothing to work with. And this idea of having to wear multiple hats. So mm -hmm. I'm curious then, you know, what does that look like? Or how does that change? I should say, when you jump to a company that that does have founding, like the series D that you worked at after leaving the startup in your earlier in your career. The biggest difference is the number of resources available, which is a double-edged sword. More resources means you can get more done. More resources also means that there are more things coming your way all the time. And I think that's the biggest difference. Yes, you can orchestrate bigger things, but it takes more time. Your iteration and your hypothesis, how whatever your process is, has to be tighter right? You can't just say like, oh, it's just me and it can just be in my head and I'll make it work on the page. No, now you have to bring multiple stakeholders in. You have to be able to flesh your thoughts out on paper or in a meeting or to, you know, to executives. That's one way of talking to your product managers. You talk to them a different way. You talk to your sales reps a different way. You talk to your fellow marketers a different way. You have to be able to put that same message in four, five, six different contexts. And you have to be able to learn how to be effective in all of those contexts. Yeah, not an easy task by any means, um, as you know, as I'm sure you can speak to firsthand. I think the other thing that I just, if I can add on to that is, you know, I've experienced in my own career, you know, working at an organization of around a hundred. So not, not small, but also not huge to the organization I'm at now, Java, where we've got, you know, considerably larger team than that. And one of the things that I think um, is true of any company of, you know, that size is, yeah, you have a lot more resources, as you said, but there's also a lot more approvers that need to be engaged in conversation. There's more lines My of communication favorite. and dialogue and meetings that have to be had. And I know we like to think of this idea of moving to, you know, a meetingless setup. Um, and, and I know Shopify as an example is a company that's implemented that process, but I have found that, you know, as a product marketer working at a company of that size with, you know, healthy funding, you need to be more proactive about having those conversations and seeking those approvals out. Cause the last thing you want to do is push something through and then you find out, Oh, so-and-so on this team didn't have eyes on it. And now they're, annoyed or frustrated that they weren't brought in or they're working on something that would, you know, have really, you know, added value to what you had just launched or something that's maybe running counter to it. So I think that's just an inherent challenge of well, is like, you got to talk to more people, you got to get more approvals. And unfortunately that can sometimes slow things down. Let me, let me ask you something before, before this show started, we were talking about how you're focused on a lot of product launch things. Do you ever do you ever get that sweet irony having gone from a smaller company to a big company that at a smaller company you can have a a bigger more cohesive launch plan and actually pull it off but the company doesn't need it and they can't use most of it versus you can have a big cohesive launch plan at a bigger company and you feel like you can get it all done but actually you get less done on your on your launch plan there there's a delicious irony there I'm curious if you've seen that as well yeah, that, that's a fair question. Maybe I'm very fortunate in the sense that at, at Jobber, where I work today, we've got a really good go-to-market process in place and we've got some really great go-to-market stakeholders where you know I'm kind of at the point now when we talk about go-to-market, 
I'm informing kind of the strategy at, at a high level, but then leaning on, you know, my channel partners across marketing, sales, support, and success and going to them and saying, Hey, this is a P one launch. This is a P two launch. This is what I'm thinking in terms of what we should do, but you're the experts in your channel and you know, the customers from how they interact with you. What do you think we should be doing tactically based on the strategy that I've outlined? So I don't necessarily think it's a matter of me not being able to pull as much off. It's more, I have a lot more people I can rely on to do the things that had I been at the smaller company, I would have had to do by myself. And I likely would have maybe had to cut some things or not do things as well as I could have had I had resources or more time to, to push through that bigger plan at the smaller org. Yeah, yeah. Clearly you have a lot of experience of how do you effectively pull in new stakeholders, get them to put skin in the game, and then help you deliver something that was way better than what you actually thought you should be doing in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. That's the optimal outcome. Um, you know, and I would say too, I think as product marketers, we often, you know, get trapped because as product marketers, we are experts in go to market and we think, well, these are my ideas and I validated them by talking to customers. And this is, you know, I think this is exactly what we should be doing. But then at the same, at the same time, you've got to really align your channel partners and the broader go to market team, because they are experts, as I said earlier, in their channels, like they know the customers from that perspective through those touch points better than a product marketer ever would. So, you know, I would say earlier in my career, I would have made the mistake of just saying, Hey, these are the tactics go execute. Now, as I've, you know, been fortunate enough to have more experience and work at a larger company, I'm much more comfortable going to them and saying, Hey, this is the strategy that I think makes the most sense based on the work that I've done and the research that we've conducted. But I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. You are experts in those spaces. You tell me what we think you should be doing and we can have a conversation about it and we can brainstorm and come up with new ideas, but I'm not going to go to my partners over in demand gen or in social and say, Hey, this is the demand gen campaign we should launch. This is the social campaign we should be doing. Like, no, they, they are, that's what they get paid to do. So why would I tell them how to do their job? Yeah, absolutely. We're all experts in our own fields. We have to figure out how to work together to get that best outcome. Absolutely. In, in the spirit of working together, this is a nice segue into my next question. I think oftentimes as product marketers, you know, if we find ourselves at startups or series A's as the lone product marketer, I think ideally eventually get to a point where we can demonstrate enough value and the company has grown to a big enough size that we can say, hey, I, I need some help. I, we need to start building out a team. So I'm curious in your career, how did you navigate that conversation around building out a product marketing team? And where did you meet resistance internally? Or on the flip side, where did you get support internally to move that conversation forward? Man, that's a tough question because there are a few ways you can typically get new headcount. I think the two most obvious ones are one, we're trying to deliver this value and I can't pull it off. Here's all of the things that are going to drop, right? The, the argument of I need more people because I can't get the job done. And there's the other side of, hey, I have this big audacious vision and I need someone that can go help pull it off. Or this research has shown that, for example, I should be going after this customer segment. Or, you know, if we're talking functionally, like, hey, you know, we have a big sales org and I need someone focused on sales enablement, which is the direction that I was going in my at my last company. You either way, you have to, like you said, there are gonna be, there's gonna be a push and pull, right? And so at my last company, a lot of the support I got was really from the product team because it was me, a lone product marketer at a series D company and six or seven product managers. And they saw that in order to 
do the launches appropriately to provide the right value to really to really drive the metrics we were looking at, I needed help. That there was no way that in a company of, you know, even at a series D company, it was like maybe 200 people that there was no way that I could manage all of that by myself. So I got a lot of support from product, but you know, that was separated from the revenue side of the house. I reported to our chief revenue officer at that company. And so product saying, Hey, PMM needs somebody because I can't get this product stuff out. You can imagine instantly the question you get is, okay, well, how is that going to increase my revenue or my pipeline? And so what ended up paying off was we had hired a new demand gen director. And because she was directly tied to pipeline early, early days, she was able to say, hey, I need PMM to provide me X, Y, and Z things. She had the ear of the CRO. And because of that, I was able to say, look, here are these two people that I need to be bringing in. You really want me to do a great job of sales enablement, and especially for the SDRs who reported to demand gen? Well, I need a person to help me go and do that. Like, I, I can't reasonably be expected to own all of the sales enablement, as well as provide all of the support to our digital and demand gen teams and run all of these launches. Meanwhile, we're an API company that has eight different use cases that people actually buy us for. And I have to go and build out a go-to-market motion for each and every one of these. Like, I can't do all of that by myself. And you know, I, I did try at some point just saying, let me put every single thing I'm doing into Asana. And they have a cool view that shows you how much you're overburdened or underburdened. And, you know, I even showed like, look, just based on the pile of work that I have, there's no way I'm getting all of this done. But that conversation always turns into, well, let's prioritize. It's not, oh, let's hire you a person. It's, well, how many of these things are actually critical? And then once we got to the point where it was like, okay, look, we need to figure out two things. We need to figure out how to consistently enable the sales team. And we need to figure out which of those eight use cases that customers care about, we really need to build out. That's when I was able to get approval for a couple of contract roles. Um, the mistake I made though, is I agreed that these should be three month contract roles and my budget wasn't huge. And so the three months were really eaten up doing less ramp than they should have, right? Instead of, you know, ramp might take one to three months. It was, hey, here's the fire hose. You have two weeks to ramp and I need you to help me start delivering some stuff. So there's, there's, there's always that balance, right? You might get the approval, but you also got to think about like, at what stage is that really going to provide value? Am I, am I, am I positioning what I need appropriately? Yeah. And I, and I would imagine based on what you said, your experience as a product manager probably helped you kind of dissect all the things that you needed to do and, and, and kind of list them out in Asana, as you said. And I think it's really smart to, to go about it in that way, much like you would kind of t-shirt size, uh, you know, a, a project or, or a sprint or, or a new feature. You could yeah. kind of apply that same approach to your assets of product marketing. And it, and it's funny, as you're speaking, I kind of thought to myself, um, or smiled, I should say, because what you outlined is an experience similar to what what I'm sure you know. I know I have, and I'm sure others product marketers have as well. Is this this idea of going to you know senior leadership or your direct uh, manager and saying, "Hey, these are all the things that I need to do. I don't have time to do them. This is how much it's going to take me. I just you know, there's not enough time in a day for me to do all of these things well." And the response is, "Well, let's just prioritize better. This is this is not a capacity concern. This is a prioritization concern." And I think if 
for any product marketer listening who finds themselves in that same situation, I think if you can kind of heed what Bargov just said about listing all those things out and kind of, you know, scoping them and in terms of time requirements, you can kind of shift that conversation back towards capacity and away from prioritization. Um, or you put it back on the person asking the question and say, well, what do you think is the most important? And if, and if they say all of it, well, then there's your answer, right? You know, I think that's oftentimes where product marketers get not caught, but they can, they can find themselves in those conversations where like, yeah, well, everything's important. Okay. But you just told me to prioritize everything's important. It, it sounds like, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about two different things here. Yeah. And I think that gets to uh, a point that maybe has been kind of a thread throughout this conversation is you, you need to be a good listener, but you also need to be a good listener slash observer. You also need to be an expert at prioritization and constantly chipping it down to what is going to move the needle on the most important metric, because that is what is going to get you any sort of resourcing. 100%. And, and on this idea of prioritization and kind of learning, uh, you know, we talked about in the build-up conversation, this idea of how rapid experimentation has played, uh, or has played a big part, I should say, in helping you find success at Harness, and I'm sure throughout your career as well. So can you shed some light on how you've experimented your way into growth? At a startup, that's the only way you can do things. The the challenge, right? When you tip when you typically think experiment, you think you have to have a sample size for this. You have to have a hypothesis going into this. And yes, that scientific method is incredibly important, right? Come up with a hypothesis, test it, prove it, disprove it, shift. I think where you have to be careful about how you're experimenting, it also depends on the channel you're experimenting in. Like, for example, if you're a product marketer sitting on a marketing team, which, by the way, at my current company, this is the first PMM role where I'm actually reporting into marketing. I've reported into sales and product before. And so when you're experimenting in marketing, you have a lot of different levers. And so what's going to help you prove it out the fastest? Well, here at Harness, it's really been, let's test ad copy. Let's use our messaging, move that into ad copy. And every one to two weeks, right? We started with one week. We realized not enough data. We should do two weeks saying, is this driving the outcome we're looking for? Is this driving the meeting? Is this driving people just signing up? Why are so many people signing up for this, but they're not, in the, they're not taking a meeting? Is it the wrong person, wrong message? And so there's one way to experiment. The things that are harder to experiment with and you have to be much more tight about, for example, is like partners and alliances. Typically, you might not want to experiment there as much unless you just have a really good relationship because you're going to pull on the strings of business relationships, not just people relationships, but between the two organizations. Sometimes you get one shot to do the enablement, to teach the team. And if it doesn't stick, they're going to be like, why would we give you the time of day? My favorite place to experiment personally and, and where I found the most success is working backwards from the bottom of the funnel up. And what does that mean? That means sales. You really want to focus on how can you enable your sales team with your messaging. And you know, you have five sales reps, they're going to come up with five different versions of the message based on what you came up with, right? Can you see what emails are working the best? What cold call strategy is working the best? Once they actually get into the meeting, how are they pitching it? How can I make my first meeting deck better? And how can I pull messaging out of that? And then once they've you know hit the pipeline, they're doing the POC and all of that, how can we find out what is moving the needle the most there, where things are getting stuck? 
And so for, for me, that experimentation mindset is really just, it comes down to what is going to move the needle the most. Do I think marketing partners or sales are going to move the needle the most? In my experience, it's always been sales because you could listen quickly, you can iterate quickly, um, and then you can see the numbers a lot more quickly versus marketing. It's like, even if you see at the top of the funnel, things are coming in, it takes time for that to, you know, be a qualified opportunity to close in revenue. So you have to be really tight about in your strategy, what do you think is going to drive the metric the most? How do you experiment with that? And then more, most importantly, not just how do I run the experiment, but what am I trying to learn? And how do I rapidly continue to iterate on that? I feel like I might have kind of flubbed around that answer a little bit. It's it's kind of broad, but I think the, the core of it really is you have to try things. The question is, how much time do you have to try it? And how big of an impact that you need to make? And, and that's going to drive your experimentation strategy. Yeah, 100%. And I think you, you know, in a, in a roundabout way, you kind of framed it as, if I can try and summarize, you know, not focusing so much on what are the things that we want to test, but instead, what are the outcomes we want to achieve? And then yes. working back, backwards from those outcomes and those metrics to say, hey, if we want to achieve X, Y, Z, then we need to test A, B, C. And I, I know personally, I've made the mistake in my career, starting with the inverse, like, oh, these are all <laughs> the things that we can test. And then you get to the test and like, okay, well, what do we do with this learning? Like, I, I remember one of the earliest learnings that I had in my career was just around designing good surveys, right? Like mm. we would, I That's say hard. we as in, it is. It is very hard. It's a skill in and of itself, which is why UI and UX research is its own discipline, within, uh, you know, uh, in and of itself. But yeah, I, I remember writing surveys with my manager at the time and thinking like, yeah, no, this, this looks good. These are some great questions. And then we get the results back and we summarize and it's like, okay, so now, now what do we do with this information? It's like, well, crap. If, if we didn't, if we didn't know what we were going to do with it before we even started the survey, then why the hell did we even write the survey in the first place? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> And now you've spent a month of time and, you know, $30,000 and you have people asking, what are you doing with that? Well, the, the answer is always, I can write content based on this. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't always get to what you're trying to get to. Yeah. You know, just as you said before, you know, if you can generate content and that's ultimately what we were trying to achieve was identify new content opportunities and, and you know, generate some more top of funnel activity, then yeah, mission accomplished. But if you set out to better understand your customers so that you could close more deals or increase conversions, then you really miss the mark in that regard. So yeah, I, you know, I think that's an important way to frame it. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, this, this whole topic of like, you know, being a PMM at startups and, you know, how do you go from zero to your first million, your first 5 million, your first 10 million, it really comes down to let's be really, really outcomes oriented. And if you can tie it to the outcome, not only are you probably going to find you're more successful, but you're going to get way more buy-in from the people that you need to get buy-in from. And that's really hard sometimes. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, oftentimes at startups or even at, you know, you know, series A, B, C uh, companies, you find yourself as a lone PMM, which is an experience you said that you've had uh, a number of times. So, you know, I'm curious, what role then did mentorship play in your own product marketing growth? And how did you go about seeking out a mentor? The second part of the question is easier to answer, and this serves as a wonderful advertisement for Product Marketing Alliance, is there's a place you can go and request a mentor. You put in what you're looking for, and then you will be provided a mentor or a list of mentors that you reach out to. That's exactly what I did. There were three mentors listed to me, uh, and now this has been about 
two, maybe three years that I have built this relationship with my mentor. Shout out to Tim Hines. Tim, hope you're listening. I'm definitely going to tell you about the podcast. And, you know, he helps me a lot. Once a month still, we catch up. And sometimes it is just a catch up. A lot of times, you know, we'll bounce ideas off of each other. Or when I do have questions, they end up being really hard questions for him now. He's still a better PMM than I am. So I love getting his feedback. But at the beginning, I just asked him a lot of questions about really learning to be a good PMM because I didn't have a PMM manager. I didn't have a VP of product marketing or or whatever who could teach me or even a CMO. It was really about, can you teach me the best ways to do this? I have some questions. Is this the right way to do it? And now it's more questions about, I have this really complicated problem and here's the strategy I'm putting into place. And can you help me with that? But so outside of that mentorship, I think it's really important to surround yourself with not just like a product marketing mentor, but finding mentorship opportunities in your managers, in your friends, in the connections that you make, because everyone has something different to teach you. And again, for me, it comes back to, I like to think of myself as a good listener. And so even when someone isn't my official mentor, I always find opportunities to be mentored and to, to learn. And I think it's not so much about who is your mentor and how many mentors do you have, but what is it you're trying to learn and what can you learn? And you can learn from anybody, right? I'm sure as soon as we finish this podcast, I'll be like, huh, I learned five things from Mark. Like, for example, you already pointed out, hey, observation is the is the evolution of being curious, right? I'd never thought about it that way before. Well, I'm glad I could, you know, drop a little bit of wisdom. I usually I'm on the receiving end of the wisdom. So I appreciate that shout out. Um, and, and yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think, you know, oftentimes when you throw out the word mentor, I think some, especially aspiring or junior PMMs can kind of be put off and think like, oh gosh, what is this, you know, person with five, 10 years of product marketing experience? What are they possibly going to want to do with me as someone who's not a product marketer yet, or maybe has a year? Um, and, and, you know, I think to bring it back to what we were just talking about earlier, if you can go into the relationship identifying like what are the outcomes that you want to achieve from that, that makes I think the the relationship with the mentor that much more meaningful. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be on both sides of the mentorship experience, and I know I've been able to deliver a lot more value with a mentee if they've come to me saying, "Hey, I'm coming to you for X, Y, Z, and I want to at the end of these you know five, six, seven conversations, I want to achieve you know this goal." And then you frame the whole mentorship relationship around it. I think where I've seen some past mentee relationships fall off is they reach out and they say, hey, Mark, I'd love to chat. and want to learn more from you. But they don't really outline what they want to learn or what they want to get out of the experience. And, and unfortunately, like I, those mentees, they, they kind of just ghost. They just they just don't come back. And maybe that's a reflection of my, my own mentorship value. I would like to not think that's the case. But um, I think you have to have that clear outcome in mind, as, as we talked about earlier. So here's an example of of observation and pattern matching right here, right? The same way that we were just talking about a lot of times you might come up with something and have no idea what you want to do with it, like you do the survey, right? You just described if you were to come in with an outcome in mind, look at how much more successful those mentor-mentee relationships are versus I just want to do this thing and I'll kind of figure out what to do with it after, right? There's that pattern just coming up over and over again. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I really like just to touch on something that you said earlier as well. I really like this idea of 
um, not necessarily just anchoring on finding your product marketing mentor. I think there's so much information within an org across all the partner uh, teams, sorry, that product marketing works with, uh, especially sales, other teams within marketing. You, you talked at the onset of our conversation about your passion for brand. I'm sure you probably learned a ton from um, some of the brand professionals that you maybe have you know come across in your career, either worked with or, or just kind of met out in the wild. Um, and yeah, so, you know, like I said, it's easy for product marketers to get stuck in their mind. Well, I want to learn from the best product marketers. You can actually learn a lot from people in sales, people in <clears throat> demand gen, people in product. And I think it's about getting outside of the, again, the, the product marketing echo chamber that can, can happen sometimes on, on LinkedIn or even within the PMA to really level up your skills and, and move beyond just, just what it takes to be a, a great product marketer. Cause there's a lot of information out there that, and, and knowledge you can learn from others. Yeah, look, man, we are the ultimate generalists in an organization. So as generalists, shouldn't we be seeking out and be curious about general knowledge, right? If you can learn from sales, marketing, partners, executives, whoever, that's just going to make you a better PMM, right? If you have to talk six different languages to six different sorts of people in the organization, shouldn't you be learning from them? How to, what they think about, what you should think about, all of those sorts of things, it seems yeah. like we're coming full circle here, right? It comes back to curiosity at the end of the day. I love, I love when a when a conversation just, you know circles back in on itself. It's a perfect way and a and a fantastic segue to my last question. Um, you know, Bargov, this has been a great conversation. Uh, you know, I've learned a ton. It sounds like I've been able to, as I said earlier, you know, drop some wisdom, which which is a rare occurrence, but one that I'll I'll I'll, I'll enjoy nonetheless. Um, but yeah, before I let you go, I'll ask you the question that I've been asking all my guests more recently, and you know. That is, what's an area of focus in the realm of product marketing or close to it that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? You know, the, the theme really going into this year from all organizations is do more with less, be more efficient. And I think where product marketers should focus, especially for those of our listeners who are at startups or building products from the ground up is your unit economics. And what do I mean by that? It's about get really tight about what is driving the needle. For example, I always focus on the sales side. So I always like to start with what are my win rates? What kind of products am I attaching to? What's my ASP? What are, how quickly are deals moving through the funnel? What is my breakdown between these different sorts of segments? and really finding the things that stick and work. And yes, you're going to find five, 10 things. Like even with the product I'm working on now, Feature Flags, this year I have the opportunity, you know, I could, I'm not gonna spit stats at you, but like I could go after industry marketing by industry by industry. I could go do that by enterprise versus commercial. I could do that by, should I lean into these individual products? Should I go after developers? But it really started with, we need to get really tight about, can we find one story? Can we find one strong position in the market where we can really niche down and win, right? We're competing right now against the biggest incumbent in the market. They're really the only vendor that, that matters significantly in the market. And at, at coming out of last fiscal year, we have a really defensible market position that they can't touch now. Right. And our unit economics are incredibly strong. And I think when you do that, what, you're not only able to drive the right outcomes, but you're able to continue to optimize that, make that better, make that better, which will free you up 
for the cool things that you want to do because no one cares about the five cool ideas that you have when you're not hitting your pipeline metrics, when you're not hitting your revenue metrics. Once those are set, that's when you're freed up to go do the cool stuff. Yeah, 100%. And in building off this idea of doing, you know, more with less, you know, it seems like every other week there's, you know, layoffs happening at companies across all different sectors. Um, and, you unfortunate. know, it's very unfortunate. And, and I think the best way as a product marketer to not necessarily guarantee, but to firm up your own, you know, career security and your, your job security is to attach yourselves to the value and like specific metrics, as you kind of pointed out, right? This idea of, you know, where can I impact the unit economics of the business in a positive way? So that way, at the end of the quarter, at the end of the fiscal, you can say, hey, I, as a product marketer, was able to have a positive influence on these, you know, one, two, three core metrics, as opposed to, like you said earlier, hey, I came up with these five great ideas this year. Like, what do you think at the end of the day is going to help you keep your job? Ideas are great, but at the end of the day, businesses care about the numbers and the metrics that you're able to move and the value you're able, the quantifiable value that you're able to deliver on. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's where I've niched down, right? Every time anyone reaches out to me on LinkedIn, it's to go build a product or a market from scratch. And I, you know, I, I'd like to think that, you know, amongst the 50 things I list on my LinkedIn uh, that I've accomplished, it kind of comes out, right, that I really focus on how do I find the one thing that we do really well? And that's how you go from zero to one. From there, that's when you can start experimenting and building things out. But, you know, things are always going to break and you're going to have to go back to ground zero. And you can't be afraid of that. I, I, I love being operational and doing all of these things, but sometimes you just got to go back to that's not working the way it was working two months ago. I have to go and fix that now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Bargov, like I said, this has been a fantastic conversation. Tons of great insights for, uh, you know, listeners who might find themselves working at a startup, working at a series A, or, or maybe they really want to pursue that as their next experience in their career. So uh, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your own experiences, your successes, your failures, which as I said earlier, we don't hear enough about. So thank you so much for that. Before I let you go though, if anybody would like to reach out to you, whether it's maybe to take you on as a as a men, as a mentor, um, ask about you know your experiences in this startup environment, going from zero to one, as you just said, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Anywhere you find me on the internet, my name is not very common, so you know LinkedIn is probably going to be the best place. You can always shoot me a Slack over at the on the PMA Slack. But if you can figure out how to get in contact with me, I'm more than happy to talk with fellow PMMs. You don't get to do that enough. And I've really appreciated having getting to have this conversation with you today, Mark. It's It's been fun and also very informative. Likewise. Well, what a great note to end on. Again, thank you so much, Bargov. It's been great getting to chat with you. Absolutely. You take care, Mark. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.